where you are. Say hey to somebody around you. Tell them happy, uh, happy spring, happy spring break. We've got um, we had a, a pretty neat weekend. Our uh, students went to the youth convention, Alabama Youth Convention, which uh, all of the um, uh, churches in our network in Alabama uh, all got together for youth convention, and it was conveniently here in town. So we drove all the way down the road, and um, but they had a, a, a great, great. Uh, uh, Weekend. I've heard stories from some of the students and some of the leaders. It was really, really good. They uh, they did a uh, fundraiser, Parents' Night Out, if you guys remember, for a Valentine's fundraiser, and and uh, raised enough money that everybody was able to go. the The trip cost was paid for, and uh, which was which was pretty incredible. And so they had a they had a great great trip. Thank you guys for some of you that sent your kids. I know that um, there are. Process moments. Uh, we, Lindsay and I were youth pastors for uh, student pastors for 13 years, um, and so there are in our lives there are process moments and there are milestone moments. And when we get away to a retreat or a conference or a camp or whatever, um, it's the same for us uh, as adults as it is with kids, uh, with students. We we get away and we make space. And the way we say it is, we believe that when we make space, God fills it. We make space for God to do something. That's what He's done, and that's what He continues to do. Even on Sundays when we gather in here together, what do we do? We make space and God fills it regularly again and again. And so um, we do uh, regular ongoing discipleship with our students, but then we have these milestone moments. And, um, and we're, I'm grateful for what God's done. We had uh, th- uh, this next Sunday, I'll be sharing some, uh, all, the, all the crazy details, crazy awesome details of our transition as a church uh, our build-out will begin here in this space in just a few weeks. I actually signed, uh, we signed the um, construction contract this past week. We are going to, um, we're going we're gonna to build some walls in this joker. And um, we're going to have uh, a lot more than that too. It's going to be really, really good. And so I'm excited about sharing details of all that uh, as, as, as we pull those together this week. And um, I'm looking forward to it. I, man, I'm looking forward to it. I, 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 lo- I wish I could sit here and tell about all the, um, honestly, the, I, I, don't, I don't just say this word because it's a, it's a Bible word and people with microphones in churches usually say it. Uh, but it really, there have been miraculous things that have happened along the way. and We can see God's provision um, the, the entire time with our church, with what he's doing, um, with, with what God is doing here in the city. And so I'm uh, looking forward to being able to tell you guys uh, all about that. Just know this, that God's at work, and um, it's good. It's really good. Hey, our text this morning is in Matthew 23. We have been in a uh, series looking at the woes that Jesus spoke to the Pharisees and the leaders um, of the, uh, and essentially the church leaders, the teachers of the law, uh, in his day. And so I'm going to read this text. We're going to dig in this morning. Um, next week, we're having a, a special Sunday. I don't want you to miss next week. It's going to be really fun. Uh, we're going to talk about the miracles of Jesus, and we have some uh, fun uh, uh, parts of the service that we're going to include that it's going to be it's going to be really, really great. But we're not talking about miracles this morning. We're talking about the woes of Jesus, all right? 
So Matthew chapter 23, it's a longer text. I do have a, we are skipping around a little bit in there because I'm not reading uh, all the woes. I've got the next one after the one that we talked about uh, last week. Uh, but we'll begin in 23 and we'll skip down eventually in, in verse 39. So it says this, Then Jesus says to the crowds and his disciples, so let me just pause. There's a great, um, there's a lot of people that are standing there with Jesus and a lot of them come from different spaces. Some of them are his disciples. Some of them are um, just the crowds that come along that say, man, this is the guy that heals people. This is amazing. I want to see something spectacular. There's people that need healing that are standing there and they're going, I need to experience something spectacular. And then there are the Pharisees and the teachers of the law that are saying, this guy's messed up everything. And then there's everything, everybody in between. So there's all, all kinds of different people that are there. And so this is um, a, mixture, a, a mixture crowd, but Jesus is about to speak directly to one group that's there, all right? If you remember, you ever been in, in, um, in class in school and your teacher's getting on to the whole class, but really it's just like one, one little group that's in there? It wasn't you. Obviously, it was a different group that was in the class. You were not getting in trouble. But it was just one of those other groups. Maybe it was like two or three kids, and she's getting on to them, but it's in front of everybody. And everybody, what, what does everybody do as soon as they get called out? What do the rest of the kids do? What do they do? Oh, yeah. Don't act like y'all haven't been there. So I don't know. I doubt that it's high school all over again here in the text and that all the other people, while Jesus is, uh, is talking to the Pharisees, I doubt they're going, oh, get them, Jesus. I don't know. But that, this is the context of where, we, where we're at. All right. Then Jesus says to the crowds and to his disciples, the teachers of the law and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat, so you've got to be careful to do everything they tell you, but do not do what they do, for they do not practice what they preach. They tie up heavy, cumbersome, lo cumbersome loads and put them on other people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to move them. Verse 13, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You shut the door of the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. You yourselves don't enter, nor will you let those who enter who are trying to. Woe to you, blind guides! You say, if anyone swears by the temple, it means nothing, but anyone who swears by the gold of the temple is bound by that oath. You blind fools! Which is greater, the gold or the temple that makes the gold sacred? You also say this, if anybody swears by the altar, it means nothing. But anyone who swears by the gift on the altar is bound by, the oath, by that oath. You blind men, which is greater, the gift or the altar that makes the gift sacred? Therefore, anyone who swears by the altar swears by it and everything on it. And everyone who swears by the temple swears by it and the one who dwells in it. And anyone who swears by heaven swears by God's throne and by the one who sits on it. Verse 33, you snakes, in case he hadn't called them enough names. He's going after them. You snakes, you brood of vipers. How will you escape being condemned to hell? Therefore, I'm sending you prophets and sages and teachers. Some of them you will kill and crucify. Others you will flog in your synagogues and pursue from town to town. Verse 37, this is the end of the passage. He's said, woe to the Pharisees and teachers of the law. And in reality, all he's wanted to do is this right here. Jerusalem, Jerusalem. You who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you, how often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. Look, your house is left to you desolate. For I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the, world, uh, uh, name of the Lord. So Jesus has just uh, verbally 
destroyed, basically how I see his, his, whenever I look at the text, it's his arch nemesis, all right? Really, Satan is, but it's, it's, it, you can see these two pitted together and all the other crowds kind of in the middle. These, um, these woes, these warnings to the leaders of the church are really the antithesis of the Sermon on the Mount. So we just read Matthew chapter 23. The Sermon on the Mount, which is Jesus' most, probably his most famous sermon, is in Matthew chapter 5 earlier. And it's the, um, it's the whereas the, the Sermon on the Mount shows who is blessed. So uh, blessed are uh, those who are poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed uh, are those who are merciful. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are those who are persecuted. Where Jesus says these are the people who are blessed. On the flip side of it, the woes to the religious leaders shows who is doomed. All right? So you kind of got two, two separate in a way, sermons that are there. And so here are, you know, seven woes. And guess what his longest woe is about? Guess, which, guess what it's about? It's the one we just read. There were some shorter ones that I skipped through, and we've, read, we've gone through some of those in this, in this series. But this is one of his final ones. Guess what the last one is about? It's about words. Words. Promises. Oaths. Here's the problem. They don't keep their promises, and then they teach others to do the same. So these Pharisees don't keep their word. They don't keep their oath. They don't keep their promise. And then they turn around, and they've made up a system. They've created a system, these rules by which other people don't have to do the same. And so, but, but for this to be the longest portion of the, um, I guess, the anti-Sermon on the Mount, for this to be the longest portion, uh, is, is this really a big deal? My words, my, my promises, our language, is it, is it really a big deal? Uh, Lindsay and I, I mentioned this earlier, Lindsay and I um, were uh, family ministry pastors at the church that uh, I was at before we planted this church, and um, we, had, we had kids all the way from zero to all the way into, into teenagers, um, into eighth grade, and everybody in between, and so we had a, a, a we would we would take care of babies. We had teams to take care of babies. We had teams to take care of students, and but one of our roles was uh, our church had a private school connected to it, and so I would do Thursday chapels for um, both the kids and the students. And so I I I was I was young when I first got there. I'm an old old man now, uh, but I was young when I got there. I think I think I I think I was 23. I remember my one of my very first chapels that I ever did for these kids. And so basically what it was was this. I won't get into all the details. Essentially, I didn't know I was going to be doing this when I took the job, but I found myself standing on stage in front of about 200 first through fifth graders with me and a microphone, and they're staring at me. And they stare for about half a second, and then they just, it's like teacher time to just check out and just be like, <laughs> like Joel, you got this? You got 200 kids? You good? You got this? And I'm like, I'm, what? so I'm thinking of I'm just trying to think of all the most like creative things in the world that we can do. I'm, I'm talking my friends into coming with me. Like, hey, come help me with chapel. And they're like, you're insane. No. So I would go in there. We'd do, I remember one of the first ones I ever did was uh, with David and Goliath. And so I had, I, I've learned really quickly, if you can get engaged the kids in the Bible story, then they were totally with you. And so we would act out the Bible story almost every time. I can't tell you how many times I've considered having y'all come up here to act out Bible stories. 
It is so much more fun. Maybe I'll work, it, I'll work my way into it when I get a little bit more courage. I'm just telling you, it is, I loved it. So I would have uh, David and Goliath. Of course, we had Goliath um, uh, uh, was actually two of my leaders, and I had them get on uh, each other's shoulders. And then we put a big, long choir robe. Yes, we had choir robes. Huge choir robe, and that was his, uh, that was his uh, uh, armor, whatever. So, so Goliath is there. He's 10 feet tall. It's two leaders, and they look so funny, and all the kids are loving it. And then I get one of these little second or third graders to come up who's like this tall, and that's David. And so, we, we, I mean, it's, it's awesome. We, uh, David slays Goliath. Goliath falls to the ground and then splits in two, and you're like, oh, it's two people, and then I lose everybody for about 10 minutes. So, but I would do stuff like that all the time. We, we did, we had, we had crazy games. I had, I had um, uh, leaf blowers with toilet paper rolls on the end of it, and we would blow toilet paper games all over 200 kids. It was crazy. For, what, 10 years, I think I did these uh, chapels on Thursdays. Uh, when I when, when I couldn't get some of the other pastors in town to answer my phone call. Um, so I would do this. Do you want to know the number one thing? I've asked, I've asked um, a lot of uh, students this. They're older now. And um, the number one lesson that they remember or teaching that they remember that, that we did, the number one. So I asked my, my nieces, they're um, uh, older teenagers now. I asked my nieces, I said, what do you, what's the, what's the number one lesson that you remember sticking out? And um, that, that sticks out to you from our chapel services. And they go, oh, yeah, that's easy. And they said, it was uh, hitters and pullers. I said, hitters and pullers? And I barely remembered it. And basically, it was so simple. I'm, I'm pretty sure I couldn't remember anything to do that morning. I got, grabbed a board and a nail and a hammer. And I said, words are like this hammer. And I said, you can hit in negative lousy, no good things into people, or you can pull the good out of people. And that was, that, was the, that was the lesson. Forget David and Goliath, forget acting out all kinds of fun stuff, forget all the laughter. This is 10 years later, I'm being told regularly that this was the thing that sticks out. You want to know why it sticks out? You know why it was such a huge deal? It's because kids know that words matter. Kids know that promises matter. Kids know that oaths matter. Out of all the lessons, we've had kids that were there that went through years. Out of all of them, that's, that's what sticks out. That's, what, that's what's remembered. So, so Jesus unloads on these Pharisees and says, you've, you've broken your promises. You've set up a system to allow people to break their oaths, not only to God but to others, and then you've taught them to do the same. So what, what actually counts as broken promises? Is um, does uh, does breaking your lease count as a broken promise? Um, does failing to pay somebody back for a loan count as a broken promise? Does telling somebody that you want to get together but then you never schedule anything with them does that count as a broken promise? Is canceling an appointment ten minutes before you're supposed to have it does that count as a broken promise? Um, what about the promises to the Lord to to fast or to give or to obey or to do those count? What exactly counts and qualifies, and can they be modified or can they be excused? And this is the question that we face in the text, and this is the question that plagues modern culture too. We live in a culture of broken promises, failed covenants, contracts, vows, 
political, uh, 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 political lying under oath, uh, embezzlement in every industry, uh, lawsuits in every sector, abuse against employees, spouses, students, children, church members, divorce is a record high, and of course failed treaties when nations no longer respect agreed upon boundaries. This is where we live, and it's where uh, the people, where Jesus and the people during his time lived as well. The instability that comes from distrust and broken promises creates a much bigger problem than all of us realize. And this is why Jesus is leveling the Pharisees with this brood of vipers talk. That's, this is why. It's, it, it's, it's a big deal. He's not upset because their promise keeping hurt his feet, their, their, their uh, promise breaking hurt his feelings, but because it actually chips away at the foundation of creation, promise breaking. Isn't that, isn't that crazy? The universe was built on words, started with words. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the deep. The Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Over the um, uh, hovering over the waters, and God what said, "Let there be light." It was it began with the word, and then it was poisoned by doubting words, by doubting the promise. Genesis three, right after that. So I don't know how long Adam and Eve were in the garden. I don't know how long creation had been going on. All I know is that uh, Adam and Eve walked with God. We're close, intimacy was there. And then Genesis chapter 3, Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, look at this. Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? Adam and Eve are in the garden. And then they're tempted to eat. Why? And the very first temptation, the very first phrase, the first thing that is said is doubting what God had said. We live in a world where contracts and vows and promises in a lot of ways seem to, me, seem to mean less and less. Uh, G.K. Chesterton said this, on a single string of a person bound to their promise hangs everything from nuclear disarmament to a family reunion, from a successful re uh, revolution to a return ticket from Pasadena. Promises are the stability in a lot of ways that society rests on. and That you'll do what you said, that money will be in the bank, that the Uber will show up when it says that it's going to be there. It, it's, it's foundational. And so when people don't keep their promises, the fabric of society begins to unravel and you really can't depend on anything. And this is where, in a lot of ways, we're headed because we value preference over promise, individual needs over community stability, my view over the, tr over the truth, which is why we have the phrase now, my truth. That's why you have a truth and I have a truth and we all have a truth, truth. <laughs> I'm sorry, I didn't mean to say it like that. <clears throat> On a serious note. <clears throat> all right. Okay. <laughs> I've lost myself. We need to learn what Jesus has said about our words. Uh, actually, in the Beatitudes, 
He says this, Matthew chapter 5, says all you need to say is simply yes or no. Let your yes be yes, let your no be no. If you're reading the King James, it's let your nay be nay, but same thing, no. Let it be, let it be. So every time you catch yourself saying, you know, did I really say that? Is, is that really breaking the law? Uh, did we really agree? Did I really promise to be there? Whenever we look for a loophole, we actually sound a lot like the serpent. Now, I want to be careful. I want you to know that as much as I'm preaching this sermon to you, I'm absolutely preaching it to myself. It's, it's, a, it's, it's where we all are. Do our words matter? So in the Gospel of John, Jesus is talking again to the Pharisees. It's a different situation. He loves talking to them. He loves telling them what's up. And he again is telling them the truth. And, and, and they aren't, what it is, is is they aren't speaking the truth about him. So he says this, John 8, 44. He says, you are actually of your father, the devil. Because when he speaks, he speaks his native tongue, which is lies. This is why God calls falsehood an abomination. You ever seen that word before, abomination? If you were to read the word abomination in the Bible, what would you think it's talking about? You think it's talking about like murder, uh, war, um, maybe stealing from the poor. This is an abomination. Proverbs, it says these are, there are six things, no, seven, that are detestable to the Lord, that are an abomination. Two of the seven have to do with our words. They're this, a lying tongue and a false witness who pours out lies. Two of the seven. He just doubled up on there, just in case you didn't know. Just wanted to remind you. So at least two of the seven have to do with words. Proverbs 12 says, the Lord detests lying lips, but he delights in people who are trustworthy. So if we look like the enemy when we twist the truth, the opposite is true. We actually look and sound like our truth-speaking God when we walk in truth. The opposite is true. And so when we keep our word and we speak life, we become like Jesus. Titus 1, 2 says this, God never lies. God never lies. 2 Corinthians 1 says, Every promise of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ is yes and amen. Every promise, yes and amen. And so the entire world rests on the fulfilled word of God. Our salvation rests on the fulfilled promises of Jesus. It all rests on him. Uh, Lewis Smead says this, when you make a promise, you tie yourself to other persons by the unseen fibers of loyalty. You agree to stick with people you are stuck with. When everything else tells them they can count on nothing, they count on you. And when they don't have the faintest notion of what in the world is going on around them, they will know that you're going to be there with them. You've created, I love this, a small sanctuary of trust within this jungle of unpredictability. You've made a promise that you intend to keep. Isn't that what God does for us? Isn't that what God has done for us? He says he'll never leave you or forsake you. He says that he's always with us. He forgives our past gives promise for the future, which then in turn gives stability for us in the present. That's what God's done for you and for me when, when we haven't kept our word, and none of us have. When the world is full of broken systems and families and lives, we as the body of Christ can be a sanctuary that keeps our word. 
And so how do you, how do, you do that? How do you, how do you become or, or build or cultivate a, a sanctuary um, of stability in a world of brokenness? And so real quick, I'm gonna, uh, we're going to end um, the, the message. I have real quick three points, but also this part of this series with this. How, how, do you, how do you do that? How do you cultivate stability in a world of brokenness? So three points. First one is this. Uh, the first one is uh, speak up. Speak up. And so we use words to cultivate a life-giving culture of stability around you. And so the greatest, um, one of the greatest lies as a kid, everybody knows this and everybody's heard this, but one of the greatest lies that we've heard as a kid and that we've grown up thinking is a phrase that all of you know, you could probably even say it with me, sticks and stones may break our bones, but words, what? Never hurt. Problem is this, it's literally the opposite of that. I mean, sticks and stones still hurt, but, but words somehow can last longer. Hurt more and last longer. For every negative word spoken, it takes seven words to compensate for that. So I don't know where that stat came from. All I know is it sounds about right to me. Because when I think back, when I think back either last week, 10 years ago, back when I was in school, in middle school, when I think back, how much easier is it to remember a word spoken negatively over your, over your life rather than somebody that's come in and it's encouraged? My guess is you could probably relive several of those that have pierced through and have stayed with. Even if God has worked his miracle healing power in you, there's still something there. There's still a, a, there's still a, 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 a memory, a remembrance, a scar there. Why? Because they, they're, they matter. So we, uh, so what, so what do we do? What's our response to, to speak, to speak up, to share, to say what's on our heart, to say what God has shared with us? We uh, a lot of times we don't because um, we're busy. We're always in motion. We're always moving. We're always going. Um, we think we have plenty of time. A lot of times we think, well, I got, I got plenty of time. So how many times have you ever been to, um, some of y'all probably experienced this, maybe you've been to a, a, a family reunion that's not uh, completely and totally toxic. You're there and you're hanging out with everybody. And how many times have you been there? And if something kind is to be said, kind of hung out, eating the food, or you swam at the lake, or you whatever, picnic, whatever you did the thing. And about you're about to leave, and then it's at that time that everybody finally goes, okay, well, I just, uh, hey, uh, <clears throat> I love you. I love you. I'll see you next year. Or, hey, man, I've been thinking about you. I'm glad. I'm glad the job worked out for you. I'm glad the thing. And, and some, of this, some of the words, some of the phrases start to come out. How long did it take? It took three hours, and you were about to leave and drive six hours back home. You're not going to see him again for a year. What it, it took to, but but that's kind of the, that's kind of the 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 challenge. We think, well, we have plenty of time. The truth is, is we don't. We don't. So what do we do as followers of Jesus who recognize the weight and the importance of promise keeping and our words? What do we do? Is it we 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 speak up? 
The second one is this, is we lift up. We lift up. The words that we do use, we speak the right words. We don't just use more words, we use the right words. We're in an epidemic of too many words. I got words coming at me all the time, everywhere. On the radio, on TV, on my phone. It's just voices and words and nonstop. I don't know what it was like to live in the 1800s. I just have to believe that they didn't have so many words coming at them all the time. I have the terrible habit. I'm working on it this year. I'm working on it. So I'm going to be vulnerable. I'm going to tell you, don't come up to me when you see me and you're like, hey, man, I saw you. You're busted. I stare at my phone all the time. I will look at my phone. I will pull my phone out of my pocket a thousand times a day. My phone actually tells me how many pickups I have in a day. And I just ignore it. I'm like, that's not true. I just, and I just, it's in, there's so much all the time. We're in an epidemic of, of words and information. And it's just, con, it's, it's constant. You know how I know? Because if I stopped right now for 20 seconds and I paused and I didn't talk. And I'm not going to do it. But if I did. If we stopped for 20 seconds and nobody said anything, nobody moved, it would take you and me, if I was sitting where you were, about four seconds to do this. <clears throat> it would. It's just, it's, it's constant. It's, it's nonstop. And we use words a lot of times like, um, a, lot of, a lot of times like pennies. We use words like pennies. Penny, what do you do when you find a penny? How many of you, when you when you see a penny, doesn't matter if it's on heads or tails, if you see a penny, how many of you actually, I want to see the hands, don't lie, I'm literally talking about lying. How many of you, when you see a penny on the ground, you actually bend over and you pick it up and you put it in your pocket? How many of you are just keep on stepping? Yes. A lot of us. Most of us. Why? Because... Pennies are worth what? A penny. They're not worth much. They're actually worth more like six months ago. Um, so we use words like pennies. What if we use words like $100 bills? How many of you, if you looked down and you saw a $100 bill and it was like unfolded, it wasn't like one of them trick like tracks, them old school tracks. I don't know, some of y'all aren't old enough to even know. People used to hand out like fake money tracks where they'd put it like in the, on the bottom of the Coke machine. You'd be like, there's 20 bucks. And you pick it up and you're like, you thought this was money, but instead Jesus loves you. And you're like, I don't care. <laughs> what if you saw a real $100 bill? How many of you, don't be funny. I know you got a bunch of funny people in here. How many of you, you see it, you're going to bend over and pick it up and put it in your pocket? Yes, Lord, yes. You're putting your hand up. Yeah. What if we use our words like $100 bills? What if we were? What if we noticed them? If we caught ourselves? Look, I'm one to talk. I'm up here with a microphone. Like, I'm, I've used a lot of words. Um, well, my point is this. What, what if that's how we treated them? So we we speak up, we lift up, and the last one is this, is, is we keep up. There you go. Remember that. <laughs> remember those. We keep up. We keep our word. Because this is how people know who God is in a world of instability. What do we do? We keep our word. This is one of the reasons Jesus was so frustrated was that the, the, the leaders of the church had created a system and basically said, this matters more than this. We can prioritize it. We can prioritize it. Keep your word here, but it's not as big of a deal over here. 
So when we're loving and when we're true, when we stay right, then people know that God is too. And when we make a promise that we've, what we've done is we've created a small sanctuary of trust within the jungle of unpredictability. It's a simple, it's a simple message. Almost all of Jesus' teachings are super simple messages. I tend to get a microphone and complicate them. <laughs> but they're simple to say. And he uses simple phrases and simple metaphors and simple stories and simple parables. But man, if it's not like challenging to follow through on, if it's not so easy, we, we're saturated. We're all, we all do this. We're all guilty of this. I'm up here and I'm telling you we are. We're saturated in a culture of just constant words that mean less and less and less. And it is a priority. It's a value Jesus established in his church that says, look, from creation, from the beginning all the way to the end, look, let's, let's pay attention to our words. Let's, let's look inwardly and say, where, where, where do my word, where have I just let them go? Where have I, where have I treated them like pennies? Have I led others to do the same? Parents, grandparents, have I, uh, uh, business leaders, uh, managers, bosses, where have we, where have we done the same? Where have we said, hey man, I'm, I, yeah, absolutely, I'll do that, and we've not. This is not a message of shame. It's not a message, it's a message of freedom, because that's what truth brings. Truth brings freedom. Now, I'll stand here and I'll go, man, I feel, I feel like I'm talking to myself. Well, that's, thank God for that. Thank God for conviction that comes from the Spirit. So if you have that in you, you're not getting, you're not hearing a message of somebody going, taking the hammer and hammering a nail in you, you're not. Instead, you're getting a message that says, no, 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 this is, this is freeing. You want to walk in freedom? You know, you want to walk in freedom? Take the message of Jesus, the words of Jesus, and us apply them. You want to create a culture, a sanctuary of trust around you where people go, man, I, look, I, I know I can't count on that person. I can't count on that thing. I know I can't count on that. But man, when I'm around her, I'm around her. She does what she says. Don't feel that as shame. Feel that as where in my life is God's, where, where in my life is, is can, I, can, I, can I make that true? So I want to pray for you this morning, if you would, if you close your eyes. Numbers um, 23 says, God's not a human that he should lie. He's not a human that he should even change his mind. Does he speak and then not act? Does he promise and not fulfill? God always keeps his promises. So maybe you're in here and you hear a message like this one on trust and on the weight of words and all you can think about really is actually your lack of trust. Maybe you don't trust anything at all. Maybe because of personal experience that left you thinking, you know, you can only trust yourself. Maybe it's even chipped away at your belief that God can be trusted. And so maybe you're in here and if you're honest, you say, Joel, I just, I just want to begin to trust God again. Or maybe for the very first time. If that's you and you say, Joel, I have a hard time trusting others around me, especially God, but I want to place my trust in Him again, would you pray for me? If that's you, there's nobody looking around, it's just me as a confession to God, 
say, that's me. I want to I want, I want to take that step, and I want to begin to trust again, and I need God to do a work in my heart. If that's you, would you just raise your hand real, real high, and you can put it right back in. Yes. Yes. Maybe you're in here, and maybe your prayer is more of a confession. Maybe it's, Joel, I've used my words carelessly. I'm not not kept my promises, I've, I've not kept oaths for whatever reason my words I, I feel like they're beginning to mean less and less, maybe they have for a long time And honestly I just I need to confess that to God, I want to receive forgiveness I want to begin the journey of rebuilding integrity and, and, and weightiness of my words I want to make a commitment to do just that today, if that's you that's you, it's just me as a confession to God, would you just raise your hand real real high and you put it back down so I can pray Father, this morning, I thank you for a word of grace and of truth. God, I thank you that you give both. Both free us. God, you give grace freely. And then and then when we're stuck, we're in trouble. You actually give more grace. Endless, full, total, complete grace. Never-ending grace, God, you give it. But at the same time, God, I thank you that in that grace, God, you share your truth so that we can be free. And so this morning, as a confession for us in this space, God, not only not only us individually in this room, God, but us, God, as a confession in the church, God, just as you've just as, just as you've asked us to pray, God, we pray not only for ourselves, God, but for us in this space and the church in general, the church here in this city, God, we pray that you would make our words weighty again. Show us where we've fallen short, God. Show us, God, as you've. As you've warned the Pharisees, God, thank you for the grace this morning for showing us, God, how we can create a spirit-filled culture of trust, an environment of trust, by how we use, God, our words. God, it matters. Thank you for the grace this morning. We don't receive it in condemnation. God, instead, we receive it as a free gift of truth. The wise turn and they hear a message of truth, even of rebuke, and they turn and they go, thank you, thank you. So God, we thank you this morning. Change us. Make us more like you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, good morning. So excited to see so many faces here with us at Four Corners. If it's your first time here with us at Four Corners, I'd love the opportunity to reach out to you just by writing you a little letter, thanking you for being with us. Uh, we've got bulletins on each of the chairs, and inside of those are some connection cards. If you want, I'd love for you to fill one out, and uh, you could drop it off at the drop box, little black drop box on the high top table before you exit. Uh, I'd just love the opportunity to say hello, and thank you for being with us. If you are part of Four Corners and you've got a change of information or uh, you want to connect with us on any way, also through a prayer request or thanking God for what he's doing, please fill that out as well. You can drop that off uh, at the high top table in that drop box also. Uh, Joel mentioned what the youth got to do this past weekend, which is awesome. Thank you to those who were givers to Four Corners Church who also supported uh, their fundraiser. But uh, all in all, we've talked so often about Four Corners Church and how many of you are uh what, what the Bible says, a cheerful giver. You are. I'm, I'm, I'm overwhelmed at just, uh, it's not with reluctance. So many of you are thrilled to be a part of what God is doing. And um, I just wanted to encourage you during a, um, a 
testy time with with crazy prices and stuff. Uh, We're all feeling it, but I did want to remind you of this. Um, Paul had spoken to the Corinthians, and he said, you know, the one who plants um, a little is going to gather a little. The one that plants big is going to gather big. And we're all like, yeah. And he says, be a cheerful giver. And we're like, yeah. And so many of you are. But let me remind you, after he says that, he also says, and God is able to shower all kinds of blessings on you so that in all things and at all times, you'll have everything you need. You'll do more and more good works because God supplies the seed for the person who plants. And he supplies bread for food. He'll supply and increase the amount of your seed. He'll increase the results of your good works. So just be encouraged in this. Those of you who have faithfully given, we're so thrilled to be here this morning because of you. Thrilled to have groups throughout the week, able to reach out to the people in our city. I just want you to know God is the one who provides, and he sees that. He sees your cheerful cheerful giving. He hadn't forgot it. He, uh, He is good to his promises, and he will take care of you. So uh, thank you for being such a good giver. Great. Thanks, baby. Hey, would you guys do this? Would you all stand up with me? Before we dismiss, I want to pray a blessing over you. I, I, I don't, um, I can't give you anything, but God can. God, God can. God can give it. Uh, I want to encourage you to be here next week if you can. We have a fun service uh, talking about uh, the miracles of Jesus. But I also am looking forward to sharing the details of kind of this next transition uh, for our church which has been a journey. It has been a journey for the past two years as a church, and uh, God's got another leg for us, uh, as he always does. And I can't wait to share uh, the details of what that is like. So, hey, would you do this? Would you hold your hands out like this? Um, May you this week experience the fullness of God's faithfulness. May he expand your capacity to see, to receive um, all that he has for you. Walk in peace. Enjoy in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, I love you. We'll see you guys this next week.